Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another version of the Eating Crow podcast. I have a pleasure and a joy of having Don Thompson, a a pirate and a gentleman, on the call with us today. So Don and I have known each other for a while. I'm going to let Don do the introduction, and I'm going to spend, heck, I could spend four podcasts going into Don's background and experiences, but we'll try to uh, hit the highlights. So Don, tell us what you're doing today and describe what goes on over at Walk West, and then we'll kind of kind of walk backwards in history from there, no pun intended. Yeah, sounds good. Peter, thanks for having me. I'm the CEO of Walk West. Uh, We're a digital consultancy, and anything that you can think about in terms of a client's digital footprint, we help them grow and create massive productivity with their digital spend. So if you need a new website, we'll help you out. Mm -hmm. But we're not just focused on building something that is visually compelling. We want something that converts, that grows your business. One of the things that we understand is if we build you a video and nobody watches it, it's not a great video. If we build you a video and 30,000 people look at it, then you're pretty happy about that video. And so one of the things at Walk West is we like to think about ourselves as strategists, like an Accenture, but we hold on to the plow with you and do the work. And that's what we think makes us unique. Over the last couple of years, uh, and then we'll dig in, this is our third year in a row being on the Inc. 5000. Uh, it was one of the fastest growing companies in the U.S. We are thankful, but we attribute that success because we have entrepreneurs, business people, computer scientists, creatives, storytellers, and we layer all of that talent into driving business results. And, and that's why we're excited about what we're doing. You know, I, I have to agree. When I first was introduced to you, to a friend of mine named Rob Williams said, there's a guy you got to meet in he's bald like you. That's, I think that was, that was his first connection, but he said, this guy's a doer. He's a, he's a creator and he's a connector And you guys seem to be cut from the same cloth, which by the way, I take it as a very big compliment on. So, uh, no, I appreciate it. when I met you, it was, it was interesting. We, we talked a little bit about walk West. We talked a lot about your background, how you got there. And we'll get back to the walk West team in a minute, which is, you know, one, as you described, one of the most interesting group of people in an agency I've ever encountered, right? There, there is something coming from all different aspects of a business into the solution you guys bring, which is going to tie into how you're building teams and how you think about teams. So tell us how you got to Walk West. It's an interesting story. I want our, I want our listeners to hear the story of how you kind of landed there. And then it's been five years, but you snap your fingers how fast that business has changed since you've been there. Yeah, so I'm the son of a football coach. And so that says a lot in terms of how I value teamwork, mm-hmm. uh, competitive outcome. There's a scoreboard, right? Mm-hmm. Either win or lose at the end of the game. Right. Uh, and moved around a lot as a youngster. And so spent time in Kentucky, in Pennsylvania, in Connecticut, in Louisiana, and moved to North Carolina uh, in my high school years when my dad was an assistant football coach at East Carolina. And so that's how I got to North Carolina. And as I looked around and growing into a young adult, I was able to sign and uh, get a football scholarship at ECU. I I always knew that I wanted to control my own destiny. So I was looking for opportunities. 
I was looking for something where I could create the financial wherewithal where I got to choose my destiny. It wasn't just the wins and losses dictated by someone else, but I could create my own wins. And so I thought about a career in sales because it was something that was a performance-based model. I like that. If I did well, I could make a lot. If I didn't do well, I was going to get fired. It was pretty simple, right? And I liked simple. And so I started out my full-time career. I'll fast forward. I had a lot of dead-end jobs. I was a manager at Dollar General. I sold mortgages. I was single-handedly responsible for the mortgage crisis in 2007. (laughs) I used to work for a company called Mr. Cash. I don't know if you remember, Billy Packard was their spokesperson, right? And I was dialing for dollars all day, every day, uh, selling mortgages at too high a price and not proud of it, but I had the bills to pay. And so I was in the mortgage business, in the retail business. I was a security guard. And then I got an opportunity with Grant Willard, uh, my friend, my mentor. I was employee number seven at a software startup. And this was 1996. And he said, Don, he said, if you can communicate and sell the way that, that you're describing on the interview process, I'll teach you the technology business. And I think there's a lot of runway for your career here. And that's why I chose to work with Grant. That's why I chose technology because I figured no matter what happened in the world, this was early Mm nineties, technology would grow and pivot and morph, but it would always be there. And so I wanted to pick something that I could be a part of. And so Grant took me under his wing. Uh, We worked together for over a decade. And in 2006, part of our company was acquired by Adobe Systems. Mm -hmm. They did not want the engineering IT part of the business I was involved in. Grant had created a product around digital rights management. So the company got split in half and Grant very graciously gave me the opportunity and 16 others to do a private buyout of the remaining balance of the business. And so he basically held the note and three years, we paid him back that note out of the profit of the business. And this was 2006, seven and eight. And anybody that remembers history, uh, seven, eight, nine was the worst time possible until today uh, to build a company. But we grew that business year over year, 30%. We grew it from 16 people to 140 people. And in 2014, we exited that business. During that time, as I was looking at kind of what I wanted to do next, technology, powerful. But then I started to look at marketing and digital. And I said, let me take a step back. Everyone's going to need marketing. Whether you're a healthcare provider, whether you're starting a fitness business, whether you're an educational organization, whether you're high tech, you have to tell your story in a digital platform. And so I started to look at investing in digital opportunities and Walk West was one of the companies that I put some investment into in 2015. Got it. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting. The guests I've had in the podcast have had similar backgrounds in the fact that they've done just about everything before they mm-hmm. centered it in their sweet spot. So when you joined Walk West, Describe to me what it was like when you got there and what it looks like today, five years later. Yeah. So when I started Walk West, I was purely an investor. I put some money into the business. Brian Honorio, um, a partner, a good friend, he had built a, a company, a couple hundred thousand dollars in business. In 2015, we were $300,000 in revenue and two to three employees, a mm-hmm. very, very small business. Uh, my thought process was, wait a minute, maybe one plus one could equal 11 if Brian and I connected. We grew in 2016, grew to about a million dollars, continued to to grow the business, moving from just building websites to more full service agency. Mm -hmm. And then in 2018, Brian built a a product called Proposo, which is a digital, uh, I guess what I would call it is 
it's a digital presentation platform. Yep. Right? And it's proposa.io. And Brian pivoted to go build that company. So we had a decision, right? Where we're going to hire an outside CEO. Was I going to do it? I wasn't really looking for a full-time thing at that time, but we didn't want to hire somebody outside. And so in 2018, uh, I became the CEO of Walk West. In 2018, 19, and 20, uh, we've had that Inc. 5000 designation. And more important during that time, we now have com uh, companies that have trusted us like Republic Wireless, like AstraZeneca. North Carolina State is a client. No uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is a client. MNF Bank is, is a client. So we started to grow. Mertz uh, Aesthetics uh, is a client. We started to grow um, Vident Health in Greenville, North Carolina is yep. a client. We started to grow our footprint to more enterprise organizations that liked the little engine that could. The way that we brought creative input to the client relationship, but we didn't sell them services they didn't need. If they could do it internally, we taught them how, we would audit. If they needed our expertise, we would do it full service. But we created an environment of true partnership where we did the work we needed, taught them how to fish where they needed, but we were co-responsible for the end result, no finger pointing. Well, I wish you were a more composed salesperson, Don, because <laughs> uh, if, when I'm in an agency, I'm calling you. What's funny, by the way, for our listeners is Vident was a customer I introduced Don to, and we still don't have him as a customer, but Don does. So Don's a better salesperson than I am, apparently. So, and by the way, we did that because we recognized what they were looking for wasn't what we did, but it certainly was what Walk West did. And Don, so let's, let's jump into uh, when, you, when you think about adding, obviously, when you go from three people and a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue, now you're in the millions and millions of dollars of revenue. How big is the team today? Uh, the team right now is 35. So that's big growth. I mean, it, it, there's, a, there's a culture shift from three to five people to 10 to 15, and then a big one at 30, another one at 50 for people that haven't done this before. They, they think I'm making it up. It's not true. Those numbers just in every business I've been through culture just changes. Absolutely. So it when is. you're building out that team, what are you looking for? Yeah, there's a couple things that we had some, you know, back to your point of what your listeners want, right? Everybody puts forward their best self on LinkedIn. Let me just peel back the onion yeah. and uh, dig into some pain points a little bit, right? When you have a team of seven to eight folks, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. You have that family friendly environment. You have everybody going out for the cups of coffee. You're building that little squad. And it works fine when you're not looking for scale because right. your process is your relationships mm -hmm. right, with each other. You're so tight, you just communicate well naturally. Once you add that 10th through 15th person, you need something called process. Right. You start to have a little bit of hierarchy. You've got mm -hmm. titles and roles. And more importantly, when you pass that million dollar, $1.5 million threshold, you have a different level of accountability because all your customers might not be large, but you've usually got one or two clients that are next level that are holding you accountable differently yeah. than your team is used to. And so one of the things at Walk West that we really struggled is how do we transition from that family-friendly environment to where we move the accountability scale up, but we still make it a great place for people to grow and build their careers. And we had some turnover as a result of that. We had some people that didn't love the fact that the accountability meter went up. Yeah. That two-hour lunches, like we couldn't be rocking like that anymore. That we had to move from spreadsheets to NetSuite. And we now had to log our hours and run a business. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so we still create an environment now at Walk West where we're winning. Our culture is amazing and growing. Diversity is empowered, but we're also held to a higher standard. Clients are paying us real money. And if they don't win with us, they could lose their job. Sure. Right. Somebody that signs on the dotted line to pay you 20 grand a month mm -hmm. and they've got to go tell their CEO or their board that it didn't work out great. That's not helpful. So right. our job and our responsibility is to help our clients win. When we've done that, people re-up with us. When we haven't, they fired us. And you know what? There's a couple times along the way that we deserved it. Because sure. in moving from that family-friendly arena, you take things a little nonchalant when you should be uber serious. Right. And we had to learn how to create that grit, that commitment, that seriousness that's required to now be a multi-multi-million dollar business. Some tough conversations, I can assume, right? Good people. Good people, tough conversations. Some went great. We're still friends to this day. They just knew it wasn't the right moment. Absolutely. And sometimes, and this is really tough, how do you tell somebody they're just not good enough? How do you, how do you tell somebody that, that their skills were good enough for the team we had, for the customers that we had, but not for where we're going? And some of those, some of those conversations didn't, didn't go great. Yeah, we've... Uh, <laughs> we had to be done. I've used the analogy where this is like a bus, right? At some point, you get a few people that jump on the bus at a certain stop. They're doing great on the bus. Three or four stops later, doesn't seem to fit, right? Either new customers came on or got off the bus or different talent came on. And you look at everybody and go, maybe you're not supposed to be in this bus anymore. Get off and jump on a different one at the station. Right. And when you explain it, and I've had the same conversations. A, a gentleman helped me found one of my companies at, some, at five years. We went to lunch and he said, is this the lunch? I said, it is, you know, if I was starting another one at this day, you'd be the first person I call. But at this point in this company, this is the kind of person I need. And that's not you. And you know, it, we both know it. So, you know, when I look at what walk West does, I, I, I'm curious about this because you guys do so much. Sure. What part of the business has been the biggest surprise to you from a customer adoption standpoint? Like you thought, I didn't think people would love this, but they're eating it up. What part of that business has surprised you? The biggest thing that has surprised me is not the video, not the website, not the content creation, which a lot of agencies do mm -hmm. and do well. It is the metric driven way that we push content out. It's the distribution. Okay. It's taking a company like Wasabi that's in the storage business, which is a total commodity. They're going against Google and Amazon but we created a content stream with video and then a launch plan to ensure that social media one paid attention organically followed by smart buys with your, your paid search light PR and that organic blend, if you will, of building the launch plan so that the content flies off the digital shelf, so to speak. And so clients are loving that because they found that the, the issue is not creative talent to produce creative content. It's to get that viral effect. I don't wanna say that we have a magic button that can make things go viral, but we do have experience in creating that viralist effect in a very, very research persona driven way. And that's something that I'm finding that, that clients really, really like. One of the examples uh, I'll, I'll give with, with Viden, one of the reasons that they selected us is not just because of what we do with digital, but because we linked our digital construct with an online programming campaign that they want to run 
and we were able to creatively marry the two together. Got it. A lot of times clients are trying to do something new and innovative and people come in and sell them on the way they've done things before. One of the things that we do a pretty good job at is we slow down and listen first and then we got a million ideas, right? Like we, we, got, sure. we have a million ideas of the way we think things should be done for sure. But everybody's not the right candidate for all of our ideas at the right time. Sometimes clients just want efficiency in what they're already doing and then they can hear you. Sometimes they don't want to know how you can charge them 10 grand. They want consulting that allows their team to do the work. And if you misread that conversation, then you don't ever get into the door to have a bigger conversation later. So this truly is a consultative sale, right? You're not, you're not walking in with a product, but at the same time, when you described what customers are reacting well, it is a process you guys are starting to refine, right? Which I would is- say- yeah, I would say you've got it and I appreciate that. Yeah. Our secret sauce is the ability to do keen listening. And keen mm-hmm. listening is where you take situational awareness alongside what the client's telling you. Sure. So it's a way that you take your knowledge and introduce it aligned with the pain that the customer is feeling. And then you create safety and de-risk for the client because you do have some tried and true methodologies. Yeah, absolutely. And that allows you to test smartly and then go big once you've de-risked. And that's one of the things that we found with digital is if we can do some nice three, four, five thousand, ten thousand dollars of testing, we then can create a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars spend for a client, but we can be more predictive. And certainly in these tough times, clients are, are pretty much into that. Uh, very much so. And you described kind of a combination of organic, um, you know, some light PR, balancing the different channels. A couple of things you mentioned here that were interesting is consistency is really important, right? Frequency, understanding when to get content out. You described this, this content stream that's done in a thoughtful way. I think this is where most customers without a consultative sale don't understand because they want to put something out and go, well, why didn't it react well? It must not be working. Let's stop. And, and the other thing is that our job is to let them understand what they're going to see in the future. Yep. Let people understand what our A, B, and C plan, if the first idea doesn't hit, here's what we're going to do next. Right. Most things in any relationship, and, and I've messed up a bunch of them, back to the transparency, is expectation setting. Mm-hmm. Any of my successful clients, I've done a really, really good job at expectation setting. Any of my failed relationships or failed client relationships, I've done a poor job at expectation setting and clients don't like surprises, right? That's, that's a, that's a difficult emotional thing for them to deal with. And it's difficult economically because then they've oversold something to their management. Nobody wants to look bad, right? Nobody wants to have to explain something away. And so if we set the right expectation of this is what we're going to have to do so that we really can be predictive, most clients are more accommodating of that. And then you build trust along the way. Well, and the more times you've succeeded, the easier it is to get people to start to trust you before you start the relationship. That's exactly right. I'm very big. And I know that you are as well. We're, we're big on case studies mm-hmm. and we're big on things that we've failed in the past. Yeah. Right. A lot of times clients will ask, they're savvy. You know, it's good. Right. Tell me about some deals that have blown up and why is a great question from, from clients. And the way that I answer it is when we haven't gotten buy-in from the C-suite 
around the expectations for the delivery and the ROI for this marketing spend. Yeah. Anytime we fail to link up what we're seeing at the marketing, at the VP of marketing level with the C-suite, we've struggled. Anytime that we have been very strong and not moved forward without that buy-in or at least that understanding and visibility, we've done a pretty good job. What's the secret to getting the marketing office to open you up to the C-suite to have that discussion? Don't try to go to the C-suite too quickly. Mm -hmm. Let the marketers understand that that linkage of understanding is to protect both of us. Correct. This is where, quite frankly, I just tell people what I've seen over time. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, if you're going to cut us a check for $100,000, you don't give us visibility to C-suite, you're going to get blamed and probably get fired. I'll go back in and tell them what you didn't do. Right. I've, this, is, this is our business. My job, however, is to get you promoted. Yep. Let me tell you how we're going to do that. Mm -hmm. Step one, I don't want 100,000. I want 15 because yep. I want to run tests. Right. After I run those tests, I want to help you build your presentation to the C-suite. You can take me with you or you can let me help you build it. Sure. But don't you build it without the right frequently asked questions of the hundreds of C-suite leaders that I've worked with and you've only worked with four or five in your career. Sure. And so as I go through that thought process, now all of a sudden that marketer does, and the third thing that's really important, I'm not gonna ever sell you something that you don't need. If you want right. me to train your team, we'll train your team. We have one client, he took me out to lunch, he said, DT, I wanna build my own marketing team. I know I'm spending 10 grand a month with you. That's gonna go down if I hire two or three people but I got to ask you, will you help me build this right team? I said, absolutely. So we interviewed with this client, interviewed people for this client. We helped them build that team. They grew. And guess what? He didn't want to build employee four, five, six, and seven. So he came back to us for more work. Sure. There's no downside in helping your champion within an account succeed. And then the second thing in getting the C-suite is people in marketing and business in general are on the move. Yeah, they are. And so if you help them in one spot, they call you into their next deal. That's no question about it. No question about it. And so just, there's- yeah, Going through that right now with one of my largest customers. It, it's just no downside to putting good seed in the ground. So Don, talk to me about, you know, when, when you think of the things that you brought to the table at WalkWest up into the role in 2018, let's go back to your discussion about growing up the son of a football coach. Sure the lessons that you learned there and the fact that you played at ECU, I, I have a daughter that graduated from ECU as well, by the way. So um, when you're looking for leadership traits and you're building out your senior team, what are the traits that stand out to you that are the hardest to find? It is, it is, has been, always remains people that view business development and the ability to source and acquire new business. Okay. Yeah. And I want everyone within my leadership team to be able to source and acquire new business. That doesn't mean that's going to be their primary role. It means that if you can create, it's not even selling. Mm -hmm. If you can create comparative, compelling narratives of why somebody should spend money with you versus the alternative, then you have the right mindset because you understand how difficult that is and you're gonna treat every customer that we win as precious. Absolutely. When you don't know that, you just expect sales to wave that magic revenue wand and bring you business. 
and you have a different mentality in terms of how you treat customers and the value and how difficult it is to get and acquire a new quality uh, customer in your business. Number one, the second thing that I think is really important as I'm looking for, for people is I like folks that have done something entrepreneurial in their past. I don't care if it failed. I don't care if it was wildly successful. I care that somebody had the courage, the conviction of an idea to put a stake in the ground and go for it, right? I've got as many failures on my resume as successes. I just kept, kept at it. So my win percentage over time is okay, right? I just didn't stop after the first or second failure. Sure. Right. Sure. But the characteristic of being willing and convicted of your idea and going for it. I, I want that type of individual within the business. And then the third thing is people that have very, very strong emotional maturity. Oh, so important. Because, because business is really hard. Yeah. Like this is a competitive, like this is like customers are going to tell you that your great idea is a piece of crap. They don't love it. Mm-hmm. How are you, how are you on that day? How enthusiastic, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I was on with my VP of accounts today. We've got 10, 12 new growing accounts, man, it's amazing, blah, blah, blah. She led the conversation with an account that's not going amazing. In 2021, they may go in a different direction. Yep. Nothing to do with us, yep. except for the fact that their business, because of COVID, took a hit in the division that we were working. Sure. And their CEO had an allergic reaction to that. Oh, sure. Right? And so my, my point being, even on your best day as a leader, you're going to get negative information. Oh, yeah. And if, and if you can't stay even with the wins and the L's, you're going to be an emotional basket case, and I can't carry that into the field with me. And like your, I, te- your team can't see that. Right. The last thing they need to see is that you react emotionally to emotional information. You've got exactly. a big picture to pay. You know, I wrote, I wrote all three of these things down and I want to go back to the football analogy when I think of the first one. So you describe everyone on your team has to have a business development mentality. I'm thinking of a football team, right? So there are individual skill positions in, in every aspect of a football team. But to your point, if everyone stopped when the play started and waited for the quarterback to complete a pass, nothing gets done. That's right that whole everyone has to move the ball forward in concert and everyone has a role to play in that aspect. And particularly in the talent that I've seen in walk West, right? When I'm working with you guys on a particular concept, the people that come through the door all bring a different perspective. Absolutely. You know, you've got people from broadcasting, you've got people from operations, you've got people from technology, you've got people from other agencies. And what's fantastic is they all have a different aspect of the problem that needs to be solved. That's right. And they ask great questions. So if you're, like you said, if you're relying on sales only, and I see five of your people walk into the room and three of them don't impress me, I'm nervous. That's right. And most, most of the times, you know, savvy clients know your top two or three people in every agency are usually really, really good. Yep. They're concerned with the drop off. Absolutely right. Right. And so the, cause clients, like they've been through the battles as, as well. And so that means that we've got to create a culture which we're growing is that the best idea wins in the building or in the virtual building these days. That means from intern to senior exec, yes, we want people to pitch their ideas. We want them to get used to it because we want to be able to share with our clients what diversity and inclusion to us really means. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is around diversity of thought. 
in chasing the best idea. You can't do that if your team is homogeneous. You can only do that if you truly have a diverse environment because that means all of our experiences are different and unique and we bring that to bear on the problem, right? We put pressure on the issue. And that's something that's helped us with, with growing our business and, and growing our clients. You know, that's interesting, Don. Obviously, diversity is a big part of your platform. I didn't pick up on the fact that you were applying to the downstream impact of diversity, right? The thought process, the ideas, it's so important to bring forward for people is that you're not just looking for diversity on a human resources chart. Correct. You're looking for diversity of thought, experiences, skill sets, creativity, everything. One of the one of the things that we're launching in a couple of weeks is a little microsite called Winning with Diversity. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times in our macroeconomic conversation, diversity is focused purely on race. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of things going on in our country. Totally sure. get that, makes sense. It then naturally moves to gender, mm-hmm. right? How many women do you have in, in leadership? Then sure. sexual orientation, sure. kind of the big three, right? Race, gender, sexual orientation. Sure. But sure. there's diversity of thought, there's generational diversity. Sure, think there is. About, sure. Think about the tsunami of change with Gen Z moving into the workplace, the tsunami of change with Gen Z, millennials, and Gen X being in the workplace at the same time. So now there's an opportunity to really develop powerful leadership chops. If you have a multicultural, multi generational leadership capability, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you can grow a really, really powerful team. You know, it's interesting. One of my podcast guests last week was a, a senior executive at Savills in the global real estate firm. He made an interesting observation at the end of the podcast. He said, we were talking about the impacts of COVID, obviously, on, on commercial real estate globally. And he said, Pete, one sure. thing people are not talking about, but they will talk about it in five years, is that, and, and by the way, I've got a, a, a daughter who's married, living in Charlotte, a recent college graduate who's just entered the workforce. What they've noticed by working at home is the complete lack of knowledge transfer. So when you and I went into the workforce, there, there, this didn't exist, right? We weren't doing this. So if somebody needed you, they grabbed you by the ear, brought you down to a conference room and said, sit and listen to this meeting or listen to this call or go on this customer visit with me. You were in it, right? Day one. And companies even had formal programs, right? GE was known for this IBM, Cisco, where you go in and do a six-month rotation in different disciplines of the business. Yep. They're missing all of this. And he made a great point. He said, look, when when our generation, when Gen X leaves the workforce in, in the highest numbers we've ever seen and the Z's and the Y's come in and they haven't had that handoff, that knowledge they're craving isn't there. So they're, they're flying blind, right? I, and you and I both know, you've talked about this. I've learned more from my, from my, me- my mess ups. Yes. When somebody was there to say, hey, could have done that a little better. Right. Really. <laughs> Maybe they weren't as polite at sometimes, but that's what <laughs> right, right, right. that's what I hope they were saying. So you know, you tie this back into the the skills you're looking for, and we're going to see a whole different wave of entrepreneurship in this country, which we're already seeing, because they may not have a choice. So you make a lot of great comments. I want to I want to dial back to the knowledge transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't thought about that and heard it out loud in that manner. All of the struck me as well conversations are powerful, but really that lack of true hand on the plow jointly mentorship, mm-hmm. right? That apprenticing, yeah, right? Zoom and these digital uh, formats are very good transactionally, right? Or you and I can have a great conversation because we already have rapport. Yep. We're already yep. friends, right? So that doesn't have to be built. Right. 
And so that relationship building in the digital age is going to be a, a really strong opportunity because I don't see this type of work going away. We'll have a vaccine. Things will go back to some reasonable uh, sure. set of normalcy. But there's going to be a trend of a more hybrid work balance. Agreed. Right. Agreed. Um, that, that's coming at us. And that leadership handoff, I think, is going to be a great opportunity. Pain point for some, mm -hmm. but opportunities for those that dig in and try to figure it out. You know, you mentioned a couple of the, the second and third skill sets you're looking for to build a team, you know, this entrepreneurship mentality. And I, I, by the way, I'm cut from the same cloth. That is, that's how I'm wired. I've, I've been doing it for almost 30 years and wouldn't, I can't imagine doing anything else, but you made a couple of interesting comments, the courage, the conviction and the failures, right? I think it's Warren Buffett mentioned that he would invest in somebody unless he can see a couple of failures in the resume. Now, I want to know somebody stuck their neck out there, pushed the envelope, tried something that wasn't right and said, geez, maybe you've not have worked. I've got a couple of those in my resume. No question about it. Me too. <laughs> right? I've got a couple, I've got some strikeouts. I've got some singles and doubles and something hey, we shouldn't even talk about. My, my wife reminds me every time I think about a new business I'm going to invest in. She's like, what about that one? What about that one? What about that one? I, I've had some of those conversations as well, Don. Yeah. The history lessons are pretty rapid fire at my dinner table with my family. Yeah. Hey, Dad, honey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and you think about the, the last one, and, and I'm reading a great book. Uh, it's called uh, Deliberate Discomfort by Jason Van Camp. Uh, Jason's going to be in the podcast in two weeks. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend it, Don. Um, Jason it runs a group called Mission Six Zero. It's a it's a bunch of former military uh, people who put together a list of stories, and this is what's so unique about this book. But the stories describe this one of these characters in a very difficult situation or situations, and how their training allowed them to handle the situation, both good and bad. But then they break it down with some science, some experts who describe the key tenets of leadership and emotional intelligence and how they apply. So it's one of those rare leadership books where you don't just get a neat story and go, I have no idea how to apply this. It's, and I mean, when I talk with Jason, I can't wait to see this book in five years when they've got a lot more business cases that apply to it. That's a but great idea. Jason's a fantastic guy. The key thing, and it's interesting that you mentioned strong emotional maturity as number three, because the, the, the tenet that they're describing is emotional intelligence, which is the ability for you and I to be aware of what's around us, right? What I'm going through at any point in my life, but more importantly, what my team is going through at any point in their lives and how I process that differently, how I gather the information and I leverage the training the repetitive training and the strengths and weaknesses to, to be able to understand, Hey, I'm confident in what I'm doing enough to reach out and help this person deal with what they're doing and not force my agenda on them, but pull them That's in. Right. That's exactly right. I think, you know, one of the things I'm learning, you know, back to kind of our challenges as an early entrepreneur, I was too much drill sergeant. I was too much football coach. I was sure. too high. Team. And I had to take a step back and say, right if I want to push somebody out on purpose, that works. Yep. If I want to grow a team that's going to win with me forever, then I've got to look at things from someone else's point of view and realize that everybody learns differently. And that took me a while to have that become a part of my leadership toolkit. 
Yeah. And too and too long, quite frankly. I mean, I've got it now to, you know, I'm comfortable, I'm more comfortable there now. And even to the point with COVID and working from home, you know, we really have to take a step back and think about the mental health of our team. And folks are dealing with a lot of emotional trauma. People are dealing with the race issues that are going on. You've got a pandemic that's going on. You've got uh, this uh, election that's going on. And now all of a sudden you've got people that are afraid, even if they're working and their business is growing, let alone people that have a spouse that lost their job, let sure. alone if people have a spouse that got sick. And so I'm having to, as a leader, take a step back and go, wait a minute, I'm also responsible, not just culture, big business buzzword, but the mental health of our team as we're going through this journey together. Sure. And making sure that all of the resources we have through our insurance providers, that people feel comfortable if they're not okay, that they need to take a day, they need to do it. And looking out for self so that we can all keep running for the long term and that people know on a more regular basis, the intensity of your care. Absolutely. Right. And that is something that I'm so glad of the experiences that I had uh, pre this crisis, mm -hmm. because now my lens is very different and I can create that standard of performance while also creating a standard of pure empathy um, that I think both are required to win. And that's a big, I, that was not my MO 10 years ago, right? My MO was suck it up, figure it out. I don't want to hear it. Where's my money, right? And that worked, but here's the scary version. And this is what changed me. Mm -hmm. And uh, a business mentor of mine said, and I was talking to him about this. He said, Don, sure it worked. I sold a couple companies. How big could they have been if you were a better leader? The answer isn't that you were successful, that you had an exit how big would it have been if you were a better leader that i did not like <laughs> i was like I, I was like i need it like i that that right there i was like oh, okay wait a minute <laughs> yeah thanks coach <laughs> right exactly you know, right you know it's uh, so you, you you brought up another word and when you read this book by jason <laughs> empathy is one of the things they talk about and they do a very interesting job and this is one of my favorite uh, tenets of the book when Jay, this, so the story arc is that Jason becomes, uh, he's going to take over a new special forces team, special ops team. He interviews a bunch of people at the direction of his major, this major pettit. He said, you need to talk to these 12 people. They will help you become a better leader. And, they, and he, by the way, the major has a reason why each 12 of those people selected, right? Yeah. The theme that I really was fascinated by, and, I, and, I, and again, empathetic, emotional, intelligent leaders do this Inherently, I've seen you do this, right? Now, I'm going to describe an example of how I've seen you do this in a minute. But what he said is, why are you here? What, what, and each one of them had a variation answer. But at the end of the day, it came back to, my objective is not to make me successful. My objective is to make the person to the right and left of me successful. Mm. If I take a service-oriented approach... And in everything that comes my way, what can I do to help these two people, whether, and by the way, in their situation, it's survive, right? I mean, it's life or death. It's a very different thing than you and I are dealing with. But if you're in a room with the people you've assembled on the team and a problem comes at you and you think to yourself, well, I've got this skill that can help solve the problem, but we need these seven other skills to solve this problem. What can I do to help Joan and Bob and Jimmy raise their game so that we can solve this together? It's a very interesting approach and empathy 
is so important there because you have to, to your point, how's my team reacting during this COVID situation? What does Joan have going on at home that might make it difficult for her to rise to this occasion? How can I help Joan do that? That's right. And you've, I, I love it when I can circle these podcasts, the eating crow moment. And you gave it to me, which is you were a drill sergeant early on. And over time, you developed this ability. And I haven't heard anybody word it this way. How do I develop a team that wants to grow and win with me forever? That's leadership, right? When you manage someone, they have to be there for you. That's their job. They just kind of have to. It doesn't mean they want to. And you and I both know performance goes up when they want to be there with you, Don. That's exactly right. So I, I, you know, I just think of some of it. By the way, you've, you've hired some people with some pretty strong successes and big egos in your team. And they all, when they yep. come in the room, they know your role, Don. By the way, everyone knows your role. That you are the spokesperson, you're the passion, you're the drive behind the organization. And then you get up and leave the room and go, and then these four other people got it from here. That is true leadership. When you can walk out and be comfortable, they got it from here. Yep. Yep. I appreciate that very much. One of the things that's been helpful is I don't want someone else's touchdown. I want to help them. I want to help them score and be successful. Right. Like one of the things that we're doing with the diversity movement, which is our latest venture, and we're going to be spinning out this company in the next 30 days. We're going to go out for some financing. We're, we're right at about a million dollar run rate with this little business. Um, and we've got some nice e-learning tools. Um, so we're blending consulting and diversity inclusion, but with IP, we've got a mobile app that's launching all kinds of cool stuff. But here's the point. We're spending a lot of time with the key folks on this team and building their personal brands okay. so that this business isn't the DT show. Mm-hmm. That this business is the diversity movement, which is a collection of really, really talented people that have come together and what we're calling it when I'm recruiting folks is the D and I Avengers, right? I said, you get to have your own movie and then we're going to come together for the blockbuster. <laughs> it's right? awesome. And, and so one of the, one of the young ladies who's running our client services and total rock star, and she's running her own business and doing great, right? Like doing high end consultancy, like just making good coin. She was like, Don, why would I shut this down? Right. To come, you know, do what you guys are, are doing. I said, cause we're trying to change the world and you can always go have a good business, sure. but we're literally trying to change the world of how people react to each other in the workplace on a global basis. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure you have that opportunity in what you're doing by yourself, but you will do it with us together. And, and after you spend a couple of years doing this, and you do go back and be an entrepreneur, your platform will be bigger. Sure. She was like, I'm, in, I'm into it. She's like, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's, again, it's you're a better salesperson than I am. You're just such a better right? salesperson. Right? I love it. And your platform will be bigger when you go back and do your own thing in a couple, in a couple of years. But let's go on this journey together. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the, the DNI movement and, and the fact that you're a champion. It's, it's interesting because when you see, when, by the way, when I talk to people and they see diversity and inclusion come up in any sort of a stream or an article or a post, people typically react one of two ways. There's some people in the middle and they, don't know, they, don't, they haven't formed an opinion yet. But there are some people that form an opinion in one of two different ways and it can be somewhat extreme. And I've been looking forward to having the podcast because I wanted to understand 
your thought process on the platform. Certainly as a very successful black leader, people are going to look to you. Yep. They're going to look to you for several reasons. I think they're going to look to you to say, is it going to be okay, Don? Right. That that's, if you're okay, Don, it, it's going to be okay. Right. So they, they want, they want to get comfortable because people just aren't comfortable right now in their country. And, and that's a tough, you, no one, you know, no one wants to wake up in the morning and be uncomfortable about their own country. It's a scary place. What I'm starting to understand is the depth of the level of diversity you're talking about here, right? That's right. It's, it's multi-layered inside of an organization. It's not the surface stuff, right? There's aspects to that, no question about it, but there's a lot more depth to what you're describing, which is if you do this right and you think of the way you run projects, you drive your creative process, you do and you solve problems, this helps you solve problems. And by bringing the best of different skill sets into the problem solving process, you win. That's right. And at okay. the end of the day at the C-suite, it is about winning. Mm -hmm. And so our job, and the reason that we're different is we're linking the emotive with the economic. Sure. Because everybody, to your point, comes at it a couple ways. And one of the things that people in leadership levels are like, why do I need to deal with this? And why do I need to deal with this right now? Mm -hmm. And you're positioning yourself in this new economy. Don't you want all of the weapons available for you to win and be successful? Mm -hmm. So then why wouldn't you want your recruiters to have DEI training so that you don't miss the two or three people of color that could carry a $5 million quota for you? that you could miss because one of your recruiters uses language that's not inclusive. Interesting. They don't mean it. They don't mean any negative by it, but the person that they're talking to doesn't feel the love if they're not spoken to in a way that they feel the belonging from every level of organization that they interview with. So and how so do you, so Don, this is an interesting question I get very often, especially since I'm involved in hiring, recruiting and building teams. How do you balance the argument that says, I'm almost flipping the scales in their direction, right? So now when I'm hiring, I'm purposely looking for this diverse audience who inherently may not be the best candidate. How do you balance that, right? Which says to people, no, the process you're suggesting says, I'm going to look for the best candidate. But in that process, as you described it, how I communicate, how I talk, how I present our culture and our beliefs, I don't ruin out or unintentionally exclude someone from that discussion. Yeah. So what's, what's the balance there when someone says, well, just, I can't just go hire a person of color or a person of a certain gender or a, an orientation to fill a slot. How do I get the best person who may have those capabilities and, and different thoughts? What, yeah. How do you answer? How do you answer? There's, there's a, I appreciate the question. There's a couple of thought process and I'll give one professionally in the companies that I work and personally. Okay, That's good. What I'm doing. So the professionally, is we're not talking about quotas. Okay. We're talking about creating an environment where you don't, what we've done is we're working to not make the hire until we've interviewed a diverse candidate pool. Pick the best person for the job, but how do you know what that is if everybody you interviewed is white? It's so flip it around. I want to hire the best candidate for the job. Okay, great. How do you do that if they all look the same? Right if they're all from the same school, all from the same referral base. So by expanding the pool of talent, you're actually aligning with your mission to hire the best talent because you've opened up that pool. So the discipline 
is making sure that you can be patient enough to now open up your recruiting portal to have a diverse view and then forcing your team to make sure your sourcing mechanisms do that. But then the best hire should always win, sure. right? That's, that, that's the competitive landscape. And so one of the things that I'm very fortunate and, and blessed and looking at, at getting a new home, me and my wife are, are looking at who's going to help us with that, who's going to do some painting, who's going to come in and, and help us with furniture, all of these different things. What we've done, right, is we're making sure that when we're sourcing a general contractor, when we're sourcing somebody to do the painting, we're sourcing somebody to help a little bit with design. We're just making sure that we have a diverse pool of candidates. And then my wife's going to pick the one with the best portfolio, but we're not making a decision until we have a diverse pool of people. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, all of a sudden, the cream is still going to rise to the top, but it's going to be often that you're going to be exposed to a different set of people that you never would have met. Certainly. And so it might not be that African-American young lady that you hire this time around, but they're now in your LinkedIn network. Yeah. They're, it's now a resume that, you know what, if you were number two for this job, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you. I'm, I need to keep you in mind. Oh, absolutely. When, when, you, when you send out that feeler to say, hey, does anybody know anybody that does this skill? The other thing that's really important, <clears throat> I'll get that similar question is what if we don't have the pipeline? We're in this technical business. We don't have as many candidates. All this may be true. Mm -hmm. Then start with suppliers. Start with the caterer for your next company event. Start with the person that does headshots. Mm -hmm. Start somewhere with opening up your mindset to a more diverse pool of candidates, but start where you sit. And that name recognition, that association, that broadening of your network will then create a more natural affinity to a broader talent pool because it's all networking anyway. We sure. both know that our best uh, folks that we find typically come from referrals. No question about it. So then we've got to expand our referral network, mm -hmm. right? So that it is more diverse, so that we have more choices, more opportunities. So it's not quotas, but it is the discipline to make sure that you open up your candidate pool and you're sourcing a diverse group so that over time, that, that growth in that transition is going to be different. You can change your board of advisors, even if you don't change your board of directors. You know, you made an interesting, I mean, we were referred to each other in that very same process. I've referred you in a dozen different places because of the quality of the work. So I would imagine that one of the reasons you formed a separate business here is that has to change the way people do recruiting. Yes. Right. The it process is. has to be different to... Otherwise, how do you know you've discovered the full diversity of the pool you're looking at, right? You have, you've got to, you have to approach it differently. And it's got to be, it's, it's both the approach and it's got to be intentional, right. right? This is where the leadership of the organization have to buy into the business case of diversity. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's easy to leave behind. It's easy to say, you know what? We have women on our board, so we're good. We're diverse. Okay. Right. When when diversity and inclusion is broader than just females of the same uh, same uh, ethnic group, if you will, there's a lot of reasons that people step away from things. But what I will say that has been very crystal clear is when people understand the business advantage that a diverse team brings, they jump on board. And my job as an entrepreneur is to explain that to people. 
So now I understand, hopefully the listeners can understand, because if people do research on your background, when they look at this podcast, they're going to see this is a focus of yours. Mm-hmm. And I've learned, I've learned much more about the depth of the approach you're taking than I had thought of coming into the conversation, which is helpful. And, you know, it brings in every aspect of the leadership training you've had, the times you've eaten crow, all, all kind of surfacing here. Uh, you know, Don, I, I, for me, it's been a pleasure. I try to keep these things to an hour. I, we could go two more. We haven't even yeah, jumped no, I love into talking to you. Like you're, you're, you're going to explore. It's going to be great. You're going to be yeah, great. It, like I'm, I'm enjoying talking to you. <laughs> well, you know, I, see, I've got to get into ear influence, right? Or earfluence, which is your, your own podcasting platform that you're on the board of, right? It's, it's, yeah. You yeah, created yeah. a venue here. Yeah. My thing there, man, is like anything I'm going to do, like, I think it needs to be a business, Right. And so Jason is amazing at uh, podcast production, creating communities, all of those different things. And then now what we're doing is we're creating different shows. Sure. So it's not just about podcasting, but it's about another creative outlet. Uh, he, in fact, Earfluence just signed a deal with WRAL for yeah, them to co-market our first show that they're going to co-market. That's so he's, fantastic. Like, so he's, he's doing a good job in moving it beyond just the podcast, but the creation of communities. Well, when, I, when I'm ready to take this up a notch, that'll be the first call I make is to try to get in over there and, and rub elbows <laughs> with some of the better podcasters in the world. Well, so. I don't know. You're going to be fine. <laughs> You're doing fine. <laughs> you know, Don, it's been a pleasure. I knew I would enjoy this. And, you know, it's just always fun to talk with people who are creating change in our community. And I think that's one of the key things you're doing. Uh, and you're just a positive, you're just a positive influence and can give a lot of people, and I'll be honest, comfort and discomfort right? The appropriate discomfort to think differently about what they're doing and uh, maybe to, to approach a problem differently. And, and, and certainly some of the lessons you've given us today will help folks do that. So it's Thanks been a pleasure. Having me, man. I appreciate Thanks well, for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. We'll do a round two at some point and catch up. I'm curious to hear how this whole new program's going. All right, man. Talk Thanks, soon. Dan. You take care. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.